Hi, welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko, uh, the series, podcast series, where we talk with coffee professionals and known, and we just uh, uh, like to discuss different topics. And uh, every time we have a different guest, uh, if you're new, uh, I'd love for you to share this uh, with a friend, with someone who cares, with someone who loves coffee. Um, you can take a screenshot and share this with, a, with those coffee friends of yours. Um, making myself a cup of coffee whilst we wait for our next guest. And uh, this episode is a lot about coffee science, so it's going to be a pretty exciting one. So, yeah, make yourself a cup of coffee, make yourself comfortable, and uh, we'll be ready real soon. All right. And to everyone, just to start, I hope you're safe. I hope you're well, and uh, especially if you are a fellow Melbourneian, um, the latest news um, quite uh, could be seen quite negative, could be seen quite uh, distressful. Uh, but we're here, try to give a little bit of a, a bright start of the day, um, especially if you if you are in Melbourne. But I'm gonna invite uh, Christopher right now. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Peter, <laughs> you're funny. <laughs> um, and here he is. He's, uh, he's just tuned in, so we're gonna... Here we go. Good evening. Hey, we've done it. We've done it. You did it. <laughs> You were here. It's my, this is my first time going Instagram live. Yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, and uh, thank you. Thank you very much for coming in. I know it's Sunday over there. Um, and uh, I'm sure you're busy on like, you know, a lot of, a lot of you guys are. And uh, thank you. I really appreciate your time and effort to, to come on this live stream. And uh, how are you and your family doing? Oh, everything's good. Uh, Eugene, I'm in Eugene, Oregon. It's a, it's a pretty low population density area, so we haven't really had that much um, sort of, we haven't had too many problems. Uh, the undergraduates actually have left for the summer, so that's pretty standard here. Uh, and that means that the population has gone down a lot. Um, and so, yeah, so things are pretty good. My family uh, is, is going well. I'm actually... Well, you've joined me here. My cats, every time I do anything, they're, they fall asleep on the bed. <laughs> me, so so <laughs> everything's great. How are you? Uh, yeah, good, good. Um, I think it's just uh, important to address, obviously, if people are following us from, from Melbourne, uh, just sending out a bit of love and positivity because uh, the new stage four lockdown uh, in today, even though we haven't had it as bad as the States and other areas but just uh, sending out some positivity but no, I'm, I'm well i can't complain i'm i got a roof i got a cup of coffee and i'm and i'm here so i really i really can't complain i'm not cats but other than them same yeah, yeah, as you yeah, mate. Yeah. um and yeah. first and foremost uh, chris or christopher because uh either chris is fine chris is fine well peter gallego just said huge christopher hendon fan so uh, we got we are a huge fan in the house, and before I get Thanks, started, <laughs> before we get started, a gentleman by the name of Maxwell said to say hi to you. 
Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I actually, uh, so I was just listening to his podcast he did with you actually. There you go. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah. He, he mess we, I messaged him yesterday and he's like, yeah, say hi. But um, Chris, Chris um, could you kindly tell us about how you started your coffee journey and just give some context to the audience in terms of what are you doing now at the moment? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was a coffee consumer, perhaps a, a relatively naive coffee consumer um, up until about 2014. Uh, I actually did my undergraduate studies in Australia. And so despite being surrounded by, you know, at around 2010, that time, that was a good time for coffee. It was right when things were turning up, you know, but I wasn't I was not an interested coffee consumer back then. So I uh, transitioned to enjoying coffee when I moved to England. Uh, and that's actually where Maxwell and I met was in his cafe. Um, and he really spent time talking to me about coffee and explaining to me the nuances, the things that you all take for granted, like you just know this stuff for us, you know, when we're not in the industry. And I really, I really think I am part of the industry now, but I, oh, you are. I, started, I, I was definitely not when I started. So you know, even just language like washed and natural and uh, e even understanding that coffee came from farms. Like I just had no idea, right? Um, so Maxwell taught me all about that. Uh, and then we started to talk about problems that were existing that were preventing people from understanding and speaking the same language. Um, a, good, a good example of that was the water chemistry problem that I heard you discuss with Maxwell a couple, uh, a couple podcasts ago. Um, but that was just one of many. I mean, there, as we all know in coffee, there's so many things to consider in coffee that science could really contribute to. And at the time, it's also worth pointing out that I was also just a young graduate student. I really had no perception or understanding or co couldn't contextualize chemistry and coffee and in a bigger picture of the value of that. So, so really the, the progression came from starting out in the competition scene and seeing that, you know, with a, with Maxwell, who was both a really good communicator in coffee, but also in science. And then seeing that his impact just within the coffee community, which is not a small community was really valuable. I thought, well, you know, there's no reason I couldn't do the same thing, but the other way around and take coffee to the academic community and make this a really, you know, a really impactful um, sort of, we call it a broader impact. So basically in science, people look for us to do something beyond our job, not just teaching, not just research, but something else, something that really makes people understand that science is around you every day. And this is a, this coffee one is really good. This is like, yeah, this is probably the best thing that happened. Uh, probably the best thing that happened to me was getting involved this way. Which is fantastic, and, and I love what you what you and and obviously Maxwell did, um, and something that you know without going to you know through, through the questions yet, but it's like it's amazing because a lot of people ask, oh, how can we how can we improve specialty coffee? How can we grow it? How can we get the message out there? And oftentimes the guests and myself, you know, keep repeating the same message. It's all about those one on one conversations. Right. And if you didn't have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with Maxwell, I don't know, maybe, maybe you wouldn't have done the studies that you've done around. Maybe, maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. I think it really does start with that conversation. Oh, I, I don't think, I really don't think we, I would have gone this path, really. Um, there, you know, I think 
when people think about what what we've done in in coffee, you know, there's like obviously tangible things like pointing at the water stuff and the grinding stuff and whatever. It doesn't even matter what we've done. But what we've done, like if you were to not be in the coffee industry and like look at this externally uh, from like a, from just like general public or science perspective, what we've done is something that's really amazing. We've managed to get people in coffee to speak the same language as we do in, in the scientific community. And I've got the scientific community speaking the same language now they do in the coffee community. And so now we've got like two huge bodies of people that are now integrating with one another. And, and we've, we've really achieved, I mean, this is really, and I'm not, I, you know, I'm not the only person who did this. I'm just saying I'm part of this. I'm really it's pleased to be part of it. It's, it's actually amazing. It's and anyone, I, anyone listening, because I suspect most people on your podcast are tuning in right now are probably in the coffee industry. The fact that you're even listening at all to this is already amazing. That oh, is like 100%. It's incredible. 100%. And, 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 and it's incredible how water is such a big ingredient when it comes to coffee. And many of us, even many people who are following or who, who are listening at the podcast later on when it's going to be published, uh, we often just neglected it. Um, why do you think that we did that? Like, like that, you know, how absurd. It's it's crazy thinking about it now, obviously. But it's easy to say, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, totally. Because the, the problem was always one of communication, right? It was that, it was that a science that, you know, basically we teach all of the chemistry that is in water for coffee in the first year of, of undergraduate studies at uni. No, like that's just normal gen chem. That doesn't mean that's known or not valuable. In fact, I would argue quite the opposite. There's a reason we teach it year one, because it's the most important thing in chemistry. And, you know, I still, I actually teach that class now at Oregon. But why, why I'm so excited about it is because we managed to just teach general chemistry to like, I don't even know, a million people. I don't even know how many people we're talking about, right? But it's basic, it's a lot of people. And I mean, that's a, that's a tremendous success. So, you know, we're, we're really happy about that. And I think part of the reason that it took off so well is because you had Maxwell, who's a great ambassador for coffee and is really good at communicating. You know, he's easy to watch. You know, everyone likes listening to him. And then, I'm, you know, I've been working for years on science communication. I'm not, I'm by no means an expert, but I, I work really hard at that. And I think there's a little bit of a payoff making sure that you can communicate very complicated ideas in a way that people understand. Yeah, which you did actually uh, when you came for the knowledge talks with Tobias Estate, I used to work for them, and I literally quit a few months before you you came with that, for that talk. So, uh, you know, even the fact that you've been traveling around the world to talk about this, it's incredible. And before I get into the next question, Carlos saying, waiting for that second version of Water for Coffee book, so we'll go to that, and he's also yes. saying, to give some context, that he's a PhD student working in computational chemistry. The well, Carlos, you, you, are, you, are, you and I are both waiting for that thing. So let me tell you the reality. I got really busy with the new job of being an assistant professor, and I, one of the things they ask you to do is write proposals to raise research money so you can have more graduate students. And... Uh, that takes a lot of time and a lot of intellectual energy. 
Uh, and, you know, at the same time, we've had COVID and all these things that have drained all of us. And so, you know, I really had a plan. I honestly plan to put a lot more effort into that. And it just really is not, it's not coming out as naturally as I would have hoped. And so I really overhauled chapter one, two, and three. They're completely different, but there are still 11 more chapters. And, you know, it, I just don't see the end of the tunnel in this thing yet, but I'll give you a couple of updates. One is I pitched the book to a legitimate publisher. So the there's a chance that that book will get picked up by a, a, a very large publisher, which means that you'll see that book uh, in potentially see the book in like everywhere. Um, we, we're working on that. Uh, I don't know what that's going to mean for the content, but I do want to comment on the content. The reason we stopped printing it was one, it was very expensive and it was taking a lot of our time, but two, um, you know, we really didn't make that much money. We just, we just distributed a tremendous amount of books. Uh, but two is that uh, I made some scientific mistakes in there and the mistakes in science are part of science, you know, but the next part of science is correcting the mistakes and it takes time to make sure you don't make the same mistake twice or a new variation of. And so I did make mistakes. One of the mistakes I made was I, I mixed up some of the language related to general hardness versus carbonate hardness versus temporary hardness. So I don't, I want to be rid of all of that because that's just more words that mean less. And I'm all about less words that mean more. So that was the problem for there. And then there's another area that I made a mistake um, relating I tried to give water as an example of an ideal gas, and it's definitely not. It's, in fact, the textbook definition of not an ideal gas. And, you know, just like oversights. So that's what slowed the whole thing down. And, you know, now I feel maybe like I'm maybe too much of a perfectionist, and I want this thing to be perfect. So here we are. Which, which I think perfectionism and science sort of, you know, it's a endless chase, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, need, I need to finish it. Look, the world, the world wants that book. Well, I don't know about the whole world, but somebody wants, at least one person on this, on this call know, one wants that book. So one, one, is, one is more than zero and I should get it done. I'm sorry it's not done. No, no, it's okay. And I think, I think taking your time and, you know, yours are managing a whole bunch of other things. And, and Peter on the chat is asking, what are the pros and cons of freezing coffee in the wrong bags and then taking it out and then refreezing? Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of the hardest things. Um, basically, if you put something in the freezer, you're obviously going to condense water onto the surface of this thing, right? And you're going to also have water being liberated. It's complicated about the actual processes that occur at the interface. But the, but the important point is that when you're in the freezer, all the water in principle that's in the air will freeze. And so as a, as a point there, that means though, I always say the freezer is wet because there's a lot of water in the freezer, but it's not wet in the atmosphere. It's just wet inside the freezer. But as it turns out, if you pull it out of the freezer, there's way more humidity. So when you open it up, the humidity will condense on the surface of the cold bean and you get a little ice crystallite. So it's not a big deal okay, if you do it once because then it'll just go away again. But if you keep doing it back and forth, back and forth, there is a chance you end up with a fair bit of water in there. You know, maybe you'll be able to visually see an ice crystal or something after, you know, a month or so of in and out. Um, that's why those devices, I think James Hoffman just reviewed all the storage devices that, you know, that can remove all of the headspace. And I know that there's companies that are, are freezing individual doses. And that's not related to the question you asked, but I know people are doing this. But if you typically what I'd recommend is, you know, 
coffee bag, bag of coffee in my house lasts a week, you know, standard bag. And I only ever have one open because I can't, I, I don't know. I'm a very linear person. I drink this bag, then I drink the next bag. I don't know. So, yeah. So when I freeze coffee, I put it in the freezer. I pull out a bag when I'm ready to use it, and I just use it from that day on. It sits on the counter from that day on. Um, and I've n- never seen anything negative with that. But that's a that's not – I'm not pulling out a geisha and drinking a whole bag of geisha the whole week. You know, I understand there's certain coffees that you want to have a one a once-in-a-while experience. And honestly, my recommendation for you is if you really have a coffee that you value like that, you should take the time and individually package it. It's not, I mean, that's a real pain to conclude, but otherwise you're just running, you're just, you know, may as well just pull it out and drink the whole thing. Yeah, and I think you you were always on the podcast of a couple of cats like Kirk and Todd. They definitely yeah. are big advocates of the uh, freezing bar. So, um, and right. the single dose there. But yeah, th- thanks for answering that question. And uh, going back on the second version of your book, Carlos gave you a little bit of lip waste saying that great things take that time. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah so, or, or, or at least or, or just things take their time. <laughs> and Anthony from Brew Theory just said that he's a second person who would love interest in that book. So you got two people. There you go. Yeah, two. Um, All right. It's worth greater doing. than one. Two is greater than one. Um, so you talked a bit about the students and about the book, which so just just out of curiosity, going back on water and that's such a big component in the cup of coffee how do you make your students excited about water and how can we use the same kind of approach that you use with your students with home brewers to get excited about it yeah so this is an interesting question. So it basically, in order to really appreciate the power of water, you just need to brew two cups exactly the same and taste them side by side. And even a novice coffee consumer will tell, you know, can taste the difference big time. Uh, and if you wanted to do it at home, you wouldn't even need to get fancy and have salts and stuff. You could just buy Evian and you could buy any, basically any other water and Evian's really hard and everything else is way less hard. Um, and so, you know, you do that, you get people excited by the difference. But chemically, it's really complicated to tell what's really going on. You know, I say it's the buffer. I say all these words that try and help you understand what's going on. But even like, you know, my, my work and certainly work from like Shahan Yuretzian and ETH, uh, not an ETH, in Zurich and the Technical University of Zurich and many others have told me on numerous occasions that when they try and do the chemical analyses, they can't really see anything different. And we know that the water is doing something. So, you know, I'm largely theoretical and I can explain what you're tasting, but then we do the chemical analysis, we can't tell the difference. And so that's actually not the way I motivate students. I don't want to motivate them by saying there's a chemical difference. I want to motivate them by the curiosity of look what chemistry can do. Um, And, you know, if, if they buy into it, then that's great. But, you know, actually I'm not, I really don't motivate the students with the water stuff anymore. I think you know, it's not like it's a solved problem, but you, from my perspective, we worked on it until about 2016. And I know that doesn't sound like that long ago, but in science, four years is a really long time. Uh, because, you know, we, I've spent four years doing other things. Uh, you know, we did the freezing thing that people are talking about here. And we all, you know, we had that new paper that everyone, you know, I, I, it was a pre-COVID paper. I don't know if you remember this, but about the really fast shots. Um, and, and that thing really, like, you know, 
that took off and that's a totally, that was two and a half years of work. So wow. we've, kind of moved, we've kind of moved on from the water. I don't mean it in a negative way at all. Cause I love the water without the water. I wouldn't be interested in coffee. Okay. So it's just that we've sort of had to diversify our interests a little bit. Yeah. And, 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 and I appreciate it. And I think, um, I was actually pretty lucky, uh, to have experienced such two different countries when it comes to water, because I, my, my, where I come from, my village, it sounds naive, but literally the mountains are there watching you and like, they're just like, it's some water. And even from the tap, it's delicious. And every time I used to go in a big city, even in Italy, it's not complaining about Australia, I couldn't drink it because the, the taste of chlorine was so overwhelming, but that's just with right. water. And I remember my, 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 uh, my partner was like, could not understand the difference. Like, what do you mean you don't like this water? Why do you need this Breda filter? Right. I was like, I can't drink it. It just feels like I'm drinking some, some chemical drink beverage. So I think I was lucky in that regards. And, and just, this is just a bit of a selfish question, but um, while we're on the topic, I remember a couple of years ago, I went back home for a bit of a visit, um, and I was a little bit concerned about coffee, because especially where I am, is you know, still quite the you know, first wave, and I don't do too, super well with bitterness. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, coffee was a, bit, was a bit of a challenge for most of that holiday. But then we went hiking, and it was like 6 o'clock in the morning, went quite high up, and... Uh, at one stage, my friend, who is also an alpinist, a professional alpinist, has said, we gotta stop at this little chalet and get a shot of espresso before we go for the big, you know, for, for the next uh, big hill. And I was like, you know what, fuck it. It's six o'clock in the morning, done, who cares, let's go. And uh, I walked in and I was like, you know, a little bit, it's not be me looking at the machine and the ground, I was like, oh fuck, here we go. This is gonna be horrible. Yeah. Wasn't. Yeah. It, it yeah. really wasn't. And I knew that the, it wasn't the coffee beans. And I was like, why? And then throughout the whole walk, I was like, is it because of the water? Like, I, I really, you know, and, and we can't, we, you know, obviously we can't answer that. You never know. Yeah. But I, I thought it was quite interesting how maybe the water, because it was so. So, well, you know. You know, it's funny. I those those good coffee experiences when you you know when you're out and you have one and in it's in a place you definitely thought was probably not going to be the best coffee experience. They can really surprise you. I think they're part of the reason why coffee's so fun because you end up in a maybe in a cafe or a chalet, like you said, or who knows where. And uh, next thing you know, you're having a really. I mean, I, I I bet you I could almost tell you the flavor profile of that shot of espresso though, because the really memorable ones that are really good are like like. Chocolate, sweetness, honey, graham cracker, almost always. I've never really had one that surprised me, and it was like, you know, like a structured washed Kenyan. You know, very rarely do you go into a shop that you're not expecting and you get, you know, a crazy, bright, sparkling acidity thing. But I'll tell you what I've been doing. You actually just reminded me. So we've been here in Oregon. It's very popular to have a so-called drive-through cafe. There's like these little shacks. They're tiny. They're, I mean, they, they couldn't be... I don't know. They're like two meters wide by five meters long. And the, you know, it's just some person sitting in a shack and you drive up there and order something. So I thought I, no way would I ever go in these things. Okay. So I've decided since COVID has happened that I'm going to try all of them. I can tell you conclusively 
that they are, at least in my neighborhood, they are terrible. Every single one of them. It's, I have not had the chalet experience that you've had. <laughs> so, so the, but the worst one came out of a drive-through a drive through cafe that was part of a Mexican restaurant. Um, and uh, that was really something. It was, it was, it's incredible what passes as espresso. And I know I already pushed the limits on what people call espresso, but this is really, this is really taking it to another level. Well, yeah. It, yeah I hope this doesn't happen. And I hope this doesn't happen where you are. We have a few drive through usually they ship it containers and that. Uh, oh, that's already cool though. That's cool. It's in a container. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember there was one when I was working back at this uh, for this coffee roaster, and uh, someone asked for an inquiry, and I went there, and I was actually thought it was cool because it was like this shipping container it was all blacked out, and it was called black box or something like that, and it just made yeah. so much sense already. Uh, yeah, it was interesting, and uh, they were using pretty or really high quality coffee, so it's interesting, hundred um, percent, and. And which is raised a bit of a, a question that I got for you, a bit of a challenging question that popped in my head. You know, you were talking about those experiences that we have out of the blue, like, okay, coffee here is not, it's not going to yeah. be good. Yeah. You know, obviously science is a big component for you. I get it, but you're not just science. You're also made out of bones and, you know, muscle and, you know, still human. How much is the, the emotional experience within that cup of coffee impacts almost psychologically, I'm not sure, onto flavor. So, you know, uh, we all had those bad experiences in first world problems category of the shop is too cold or too hot, uh, service is not great, you waited 30 minutes for a cup of coffee, and then you're like, oh, coffee's all right. But then you had experiences where everything just worked out perfectly, and maybe you are sitting across from a friend that you haven't seen in two years, and you're having such a good time. How much do you think there's also an element of the actual experience, even though it's not oh, obviously yeah. scientific? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, so so for sure. I mean, it's like, uh, you, you know, it's pretty common in the United States to have uh, go to a restaurant or a diner or something like this and have a cup of coffee that's, you know, been made on a bun batchy, and you're going to sit down or, you know, some, some sort of batch brewery, and you're going to sit down and you're going to get poured a cup of coffee or something that was, seemingly related to a cup of coffee that that product that lands on the table with the type of service that you're going to get in a place like that, which is often very good. And I mean, that's a, that's a good cup of coffee and it's not, doesn't have any of the flavor characteristics you'll find on any flavor wheel. Okay. It's, it's a totally different thing. Um, in fact, I would almost argue that like, you know, it's only specialty coffee that really goes from like being, super great to super terrible like the window for because it could because you're expecting all these things with specialty coffee you're expecting this service and this flavor profile and all this stuff but if you go into a cafe that's not trying to do any of that and is just trying to you know or a restaurant or whatever then you're you know you're going to have a good experience and the margin for error there is is not as big um now having said that scientifically Oftentimes, even if you're enjoying that cup of coffee, if you were to really line it up on a cupping table blind, it probably wouldn't score that well compared to, you know, a coffee that was really great. So your brain plays a huge role in the environment and all that plays a huge role in this stuff. And I actually, you know, a lot of you, you kind of pointed at something that's sort of like in our most recent paper, I tried really, really hard to make sure that people 
new that I was not saying, like trying to homogenize a flavor profile. Like I was not trying to tell people what tasted good. That's still always going to be dependent on all the things you, you sort of offered just before. Um, we, we were trying really hard just to make sure that whatever the flavor profile was, that the barista or the restaurant or the cafe, wherever, it doesn't matter where you are, your home, whatever that flavor profile is you're trying to achieve, we just want to make sure that you can find a way to get it and then get it again the next time you brew the same coffee. And, you know, if you don't want, if you don't want that consistency, that's cool too. You know, that's just the part of the fun. It's the variability that makes, uh, you know, makes the whole coffee industry tick. I think that's actually why I like it so much. hundred percent. And and I think what you just said is just that uh, actually it was going to be the next question around consistency. Uh, and we go there in a second. I think that maybe we just cracked the code. I think that when we go out, we should just always expect the worst out of a cup of coffee. Well, and you're right yeah. because it's so true. I have done that mistake of walking into a shop I look at the shelf, I'm like, oh, using this coffee, it's going to be great. And then it's like, oh, actually, it was pretty average. But then I went to the mountains expecting the worst, and it was actually, you know, it was like, oh, yeah. it's actually quite good. I don't, I don't know if you want to go into a shop expecting a bad experience. You know, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Right? But I don't know. Like, when I'm going out for coffee, the only thing I'm expecting when I'm going out is the fact that I'm not going to have to make that coffee. Someone else is going to, I'm paying someone else to do that for me. And so it's, it's already a luxury because it's something that, and so for me, it's just like more like going in and just being grateful for the experience that you have. You like, we all have the opportunity. And in fact, actually touches on another good point is that that's part of the reason, you know, I get asked in the scientific community why I work in coffee rather than beer and wine and whiskey and, you know, whatever because those are somehow, you know, higher profile or whatever. But part of the reason why coffee is so good is because the, you know, the economic barrier to entry is pretty low. So if you're from a, a, a you know, a, a region then, or your family or you don't earn very much money, you can still share the same sensory experience as the richest guy down the street. You know, it, it, it brings people together and on a level that, you know, it's a level playing field and, you know, for a couple of bucks. And I know that even for some people, a couple of bucks is a lot of money. Uh, but the point is, is that it's much lower than, for example, going on and having a specialty glass of wine. Um, but nonetheless, you still feel grateful when someone else makes it for you. That and is so such a good point. I, 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 that is such a good point. I actually never thought about it in those terms as far as, you said in terms of that it's it's a more it's it's accessible you're right like, like you know obviously with all you know consequences around pricing that should be higher and whatnot it's a big mm -hmm. conversation but i think you're right in terms of like everyone can have a cup of coffee or most people can and and yes and that's why in fact i used to before COVID, never brew at home because for me, it was all about supporting my local shops or wherever I go and drink it because you're right. Like having that full experience of saying, hey, here's my $4 Australian dollars to get me a beautiful double espresso because I don't have an espresso machine. I just got me AeroPress. Um, and then COVID hit and I started to look at, you know, well, I'm going to start brewing at home. And one of our guests, uh, Daniel Hobart, said that in his opinion, uh, you know, a bit cheekily, but the fourth wave of coffee is going to be home brewing. 
which brings me to the consistency point of it's so important, you know, consistency across shops because it's a business, but also for the experience, like you just said, yeah, how can sure. a person always have the same cup of coffee? So what can someone at home do to try to aim for that consistency? Well, the, the easiest thing that, I mean, I, I make, I would say I make a lot of coffee at home that was probably not that good, but you know, perhaps maybe my barrier for good and your barrier for good are not equal. So I don't, it's hard to describe what I mean by that, but I, but I make a lot of coffee at home now, part, partially because of COVID partially, you know, because just, just what you do in America, I guess, in a small town. So, you know, you get the idea. So anyway, um, what I realized when I was doing all this hard work was that water is a big deal. Okay. And we uh, you know, there are products that exist on the market to solve this problem. So let's assume that you could solve your water problem somehow. Then you have like the heating of the water, which is the kettle of some description that I, that's not worth thinking about. You just heat it up. Okay. So there's that. So then the, then there's the brew method. And I realized after doing this for a long time, that I really just like reproducible brew methods. I like, me I honestly, I want to be able to do the same thing a hundred times in a row. And, and that for me, that's the AeroPress. So, you know, for me, I, I mean, it gives you a cloudy cup of coffee. So you got to deal with the fact that it's not as clear and clean as you might get out of a pour over. But honestly, I, you know, I, I bet you one of my AeroPresses, one, you know, okay, how do I put this? 10 of my AeroPresses are always going to be, good and only one of my pour overs will be good so you know that's the sort of ratio that i would go for um in terms of but actually brewing at home your grinder matters way more than i thought that is like the big the big thing and you don't even need to spend a lot of money to get to the stage where it's acceptable like it's just i know that just talking about how barrier for entry and coffee is only a couple of bucks but actually at home it's more like 200 bucks total for the whole setup but yeah. the two, you really need to drop some, a, a little bit of money on that grinder, like, you know, in the vicinity of a hundred bucks plus or minus a bit, because otherwise you're just, you're just going to, you know, garbage in, garbage out. That's unfortunately what the reality is here. Yeah. And, and in fact, grind size and grinding was actually <laughs> two question. I had a hundred percent and it's super important. I think, I think that the AeroPress just briefly touching base on that, um, it just, that's the exact reason why I got it. First, it's quite economically viable because it's not like spending, you know, seven or eight thousand dollars on an espresso machine. Um, and like you said, it's just there's not much thinking. Like I can wake up in the morning and without too much thinking, I just can make that cup of coffee. Right. Speaking of which, right. I just ran out of paper filters, so I'm using my metal filter, and I've noticed okay. such an incredible uh, difference. But um, we we just walk past through the uh, halfway mark and I have a ritual out of the box question for you, uh, Christopher. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really interested in asking that to you actually. Uh, if you could, who would you like to have dinner with? And it doesn't have to be in coffee, it could be anyone. Do they have to be alive? Nope. That's a hard question to answer. I, so there are a few people on, on uh, that are alive that I'd be interested in. Um, one of them, I, well, hold on. I first want to preface this with that the reasons that I would choose to have dinner with somebody are vast. They're, they span a tremendous range of motivations. 
So some of them may be scientific, some of them may be to challenge the person because I so adamantly disagree with things that they say. You know, so I, I, I need to think carefully about which one I'm referring to here. But James May is a ex-host of Top Gear. He's the, you know, got the longer gray hair. Um, I've heard that not everything about his personality is great, but the guy seems to have uh, broad interests in history, science, knows a fair bit about cars, this sort of thing. And I suspect that he would just have a, a, an interesting, um, the night would take an interesting trajectory. Let's put it that way. Um, other, there, I mean, there's a variety of, there's a variety of people. In, in coffee, um, I don't, I don't really know uh, in, in coffee who would I, I'd have dinner with. I need to think carefully about that. You've kind of caught me off guard on the dinner one. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, what I'm doing is I'm thinking about who I've had dinner with that was really a really special dinner that I really felt like was really something. Um, and oftentimes those are usually with coffee roasters who are sharing stories about crazy things that have happened from any, anything ranging from roasting a, a live piece of ammunition that found its way into the coffee bag all the way to, you know, all sorts of stuff, having a opening a bag and finding little individually wrapped um, pieces of, you know, cocaine, all sorts of things. So, you know, these stories are always fun, but uh, yeah, let's see. I think, I think in science, there's a few really big time superstars that would have been interesting to have dinner with. Um, and, and, you know, one of them would be Linus Pauling. He's a two time Nobel laureate, one for his chemistry and one in peace for denuclearization. Uh, I think that Linus Pauling would have been a, a very curious person to have dinner with. Um, I think Marie Curie, uh, two time Nobel laureate, one in physics, one in chemistry. Uh, and she was, you know, she was obviously a superstar. Um, but also was one of these people who like gave their life for their job. You know, she basically handled radioactive materials knowing it was hurting. And that's, I mean, that's, oh well, yeah, you want to, you want to learn what pushes that sort of person to do what they're doing. So, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. I think it's just uh, one of those questions that the whole point was catching people off guard. Cause, uh, <laughs> but also I like the fact that it might leave you for the rest of the day thinking, or maybe you hit dinner time. Oh, no, well, you already passed dinner time, but maybe you wake up tomorrow and like, oh, actually, I wouldn't mind having dinner with this person or that person. But no, thank you. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's great to hear all sorts of range of answers from uh, all my guests. And, uh, and if we got to play for a minute, um, and I, I don't know, we covered a little bit of water, we covered a little bit of science, but I just want to really, I thought about it last night when I was typing the questions, if we just play for a minute, uh, I don't know, uh, Rick and Morty style, really going macro. Um, in an imaginary future, what are your predictions or what can you see or what can you think that we could be seeing in, you know, in, the, in that kind of future, in coffee? In coffee? Uh, so, you know, it's a... For me, it's a it's a sort of like a one day, one week, one year, ten years sort of projection. Um, you know, the the one day thing for me, the one day prediction is that actually the specialty coffee industry has changed permanently based on our current climate, um, and it, and this is going to mean that we're going to have to revisit 
just even tomorrow have to revisit how we package what we think of as specialty coffee. And I know that that means doing a lot of online sales and subscriptions and making sure the coffee goes to your home and stuff. But that doesn't ensure that you have the experience that the, you know, the roaster doesn't get to control the experience you have, nor should they, but they, but they don't. So they have to reinvent what, what that means for specialty coffee tomorrow. Uh, in one week, you know, it's hard to see in one week right now. COVID changes, has changed the time scale for everything. So, you know, while I can't, I can't make a prediction in one week as to what's going to happen. I'll tell you in one year, my hypothesis is that we're going to be going and revisiting things that we thought were definitely solid, definitely like the cornerstone of coffee. A few examples of those are, the, and they're already being challenged by lots of people, but a few cornerstones uh, are the production methods. So, you know, whether you're processing in a certain way, you're fermenting in a certain way, these sorts of things are going to be examined heavily in one year. Uh, but also on the brew side, you know, we, we see new products coming out every day uh, and they're incrementally changing certain aspects. But I think there's a lot of, of um, exciting stuff coming on the horizon. Um, you know, I'm also working on some some new stuff and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it in a second if you want. But um, uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're excited about the future uh, from a research perspective. So that's in one year, we think that. But in 10 years, so really in the future here. Um, you know, one of the challenges is that we, independent of whether you believe that, that the climate is changing or not, one of the realities is going to be that coffee is going to become less accessible and, or prices will go up or quality will change. Think about it however you want to think about it. But the reality is, is that in 10 years, there is going to be a notable difference between what we can obtain right now and what we'll obtain in 10 years. Uh, and that is a challenging problem to overcome with science. It's a challenging problem to overcome as a community. Um, and so what I think is actually going to happen is gonna, there's going to be a lot more homogenization of coffee shops because I think that major players are going to become more important again for better or worse. But I think, I think that, you know, when the product becomes more scarce, who's going to have the money to actually go after this and drive the prices down to something that keeps coffee at a reasonable price? For better or worse, it's just a statement of fact. And, you know, this may be, this this could be, you know, 10 shops in Melbourne, all of a sudden all are owned by the same person and they're all roasted at the same facility and they don't look like they're the same shops and all the bags are different, but it's all one shop, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I, I think that's, yeah, yeah, that, that makes a whole bunch of sense. Um, I sort of kind of want to challenge a bit of, of, of just go a little bit sci-fi, but it's like, could you see uh, potentially, you know, like, you know, not, not quite in 10 years, but would it be possible that humans would start looking at uh, growing in lab, lab production of coffee like they do with meat, you know? Uh, uh, you're coming, you're coming instead, of, instead of beyond meat, it'll be beyond coffee. Let's just, for the sake of the, of the exercise. Yeah. So, yeah. So welcome to Finca Hendon. We have uh, <laughs> this. Hold on. We've got a couple more. Finca Hendon. I love it. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, I like this one too. This guy's, he's, he's little, but he, you know, he's strong. Um, but look, yes. I mean, there's, I got asked this question the other day from the National Academy of Sciences about whether there was opportunities for hydroponics of coffee. Okay. 
Um, and because they were thinking, you know, well, we can grow basically everything. So why can't we just grow coffee in a, in a lamp? You know, why can't we do this in a, on a, on a scale that was actually, hold on, there we are on a scale that was, uh, you know, viable to do in a laboratory setting. And sure. Why not? It's a plant. We can do it. Um, that's, interesting. that's not that far. That's not that far fetched. What's more far fetched are these companies that are starting up that are making coffee out of not coffee. Right there's a there's a company right now that's doing molecular coffee if you want to call it that they're putting in chemicals into a a mixture that tastes like coffee that that is interesting that is also kind of not really why we drink coffee so you know I don't I don't know the answer to the, I mean I've been involved in like these tech company startups that are trying to make coffee more accessible or higher quality, whatever that means or whatever. I've been involved in these things and they're all innovative and they all bring something new to the coffee industry. And I think they're all good. Um, and certainly beyond the ones that I'm part of, I, but I think at the same time, I also wonder, even with the ones that I'm part of, what is the innovation? Is the innovation future proofing or is it making it easier to taste or I don't know, like what really are we doing here? Or is it something that doesn't really need to be fixed? Is it the variability and the, the, the fact that we get to enjoy it now and maybe climate will prevent it later on is just, maybe that's actually, maybe that's actually going to be political. You know, maybe that'll be the beginning of a major change that actually is really has a positive outcome. I don't know. Yeah. And, and obviously that's the, it's such a, such an interesting aspect because I think purpose behind anything is such an important component. Uh, purpose behind a new research, purpose behind a new experiment, and why are we doing what we're doing? It's it's important in any aspect of life, but you know also when it comes to science. Uh, going back to that, I mean, yes, please, I'd love to hear what you've been working on, like you were just uh, you briefly mentioned because. I'm always time cautious because Instagram shuts it after 59 minutes and 59 seconds, and they don't give you any grace period. So, please, uh, the, the stage is yours. How many, how many minutes? How many minutes do I we have left? We, I think we've got about 12, which is, doesn't sound a lot, okay. but from experience, I know okay, it's not much. So, <laughs> so look, so we've been uh, at University of Oregon had has given me the green light to build a coffee lab. So that means that things are going to get serious here because now instead of me doing the experiments in Maxwell's shop, um, which a quick side note on that, the grinding paper where we froze the coffee and then ground the coffee at different temperatures, the one that I guess people are more familiar with now because of Kyle Ramage's routine and so forth, that paper, the data I collected, that was the three days before I left England to move to the United States. And Maxwell, I, I told him I was going to do it and I didn't know that it would be so noisy. So I rolled in this device and it was so noisy that he shut the shop, which, I mean, I didn't mean for that to happen, but he had to close the store down the whole day because of me, which is bad. Uh, but, but that's where that came from. So we were doing it literally in the front of his store. Uh, that's going to change. So we're going to have a facility. We're going to have uh, this pretty interesting modular setup where we have an espresso machine and we have lab equipment. They can all be moved around on tables and it, you know, I think that's going to be really fun. Uh, it's it's a lab, but it's going to be public. So it's going to be right in the middle of our atriums with no walls. So if people are going to be working there, 
Uh, it's going to be a new paradigm, I think, for education, because basically you're going to come up and say, hey, what are you working on? And the students will be trained appropriately to give you a coffee, but explain to you what the experiment was that they were working on. So you get to taste the experiment as it's happening. So, and it's going to be, you know, we're going to be working on publishing all this stuff. So there's that. But then in addition to that, these things, um, we, 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 we need to, you know, gain some sort of money uh, because we need to fund it, right? So basically, I'm, I'm in the middle of developing an outreach uh, and, and basically soliciting funding uh, so that I can get money into Oregon in large quantities so we can actually have PhD students coming through uh, under my supervision, but we'll actually be trained in analytical chemistry, uh, but we'll actually be also trained in science communication. So I think that there, there's that. And, um, you know, I see people's comments going by here. So I, this won't be a closed thing. Right, this will be an open environment. So you baristas who want to come over there and train or use the equipment or whatever. I mean, it's uh, we're a public university. That means that as, as long as you make sure that you're safety trained, we can go right ahead and do such a thing. So that's the dream, right? That is my dream is to have this facility that people look at and go, wow, that is the pinnacle of science, but also of coffee. Um, in addition What's to that, there are some new scientific problems that I'm going after. Uh, so one of the idea, one of the problems that we're going after re very recently was trying to understand in real time how we can analyze what's in a cup of coffee. Now I know there are devices that exist that could maybe do something like this, but unfortunately they can't tell you anything about quality. They can't tell you blueberry. They can't tell you anything about your perception of that coffee, right? So we are going after that problem. And the way I, I'm proposing we do it is we use real, light, real lab equipment, things like uh, you know, optical measurements, but not the ones that you're familiar with, and electricity, these sorts of things. And basically, the tools that I'm developing typically cost a lot of money. If you went to a lab supplier, you would spend a thousand or so dollars. But I want to release blueprints for you in the coffee industry to build them yourself. So, and they'll be, and they'll be free. So the idea is that I'm going to give you the way to do the analysis, and then I'm going to roll out a chemistry class that is free that everyone takes, and they do the lab component. So now you actually are trained in chemistry, not in coffee. And then I'm going to show you how to apply it to coffee. And then that way you're going to be able to make real-time assessments, and we can all talk to each other in the appropriate language of what we've analyzed. And no more will we have this, you know, no more will we be making statements about what percentage of the mass did we extract? Because, you know, I, you know, I, that, that doesn't tell you if you like it or not. It, it sounds, uh, <laughs> well, first of all, I just gonna say, you know, the comments are quite spot on. I, I, I do like what Anthony wrote, hand on coffee lab fourth way and Carlos saying that he's in, uh, in a postdoc. So, um, I think it's, 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 it's super interesting, and I think what you're doing is creating access, and I think access is the next wave of business anyway. Um, and obviously funding is such an important component, and even the fact that you want to give that access free. It sort of briefly reminded me of a documentary I watched uh, not long ago about uh, biohacking. Um, I think it was called Bio Biohackers or something. It was basically kids to play with uh genes and whatnot which was like made it accessible to the, to the public obviously we're talking about coffee not <laughs> changing color eyes of your dog 
which is be <laughs> a bit different. I think it's super interesting that you're able to say, hey, you know what? There's a beautiful gap from, you know, the laboratory and home brewers. Let's just bridge it and just, hey, hey, come over. Let me show you. That's, I'm super excited. I'm, I'm glad that I've asked you that question and you shared what you're working on. Well, let me, let me, let me tell you about why, why this is so powerful, right? Is that this whole coronavirus thing highlighted that us as educators are really bad at teaching online. We're like, we are not capable of doing this. But you know what's the worst online class you can possibly take is a chemistry laboratory. Because how the heck are you going to do a chemistry laboratory when you're in your living room, right? So the dream is to develop a chemistry laboratory class where not only do you get to do the experiments still in your home, right? But you also get to build the instrument in your home and it costs like, let's say $200 to do the whole thing. So then you also then learn how the instrument works. So you, then you know why it doesn't work when it doesn't work. You then also understand like everything about it. So that's the, that's the dream. So my goal is to roll this out for the coffee industry who I know I've got the coffee industry's ear, but only because we work so hard together to make sure that we're working on relevant problems. But if I've got your ear, then you'll give me good feedback on how we can improve this process. Once we've got the coffee industry speaking this chemistry language, I take that program we've developed and we roll that out across every, you can imagine every university would want to have an online component of chemistry lab. It keeps the numbers down in the rooms. It ups the participation. It makes the educational outcomes higher. So that means that not only did the, that means the coffee industry just changed the way that tertiary education works. And, you, and I don't think, you know, you know, this sounds like a fantasy, but it's really not a fantasy. Trust me, you've already, you all have already changed the way that tertiary education is working. Because every time I give a talk, people always want to hear about the coffee stuff. And it's like, that's crazy. Why would they want to hear about that? I'm doing all this other stuff. But that's what they want to hear about. But I, I, no, I, I find it super fascinating. And I, I would be one of those people excited about to see what, what's next. Um, Carlos mentioning a few things that I have no idea what he's saying. I guess you can do that with a benchtop and um, NMR coupled with LC column. Um, that's definitely <laughs> my leg. Um, but I think um, what you're doing is going back to what you said the start, how the mission would be, you know, the beauty of coffee, it's so different. And often people don't have the same experience. And some people are doing a little bit of things. I mean, uh, Amy and Mathieu, now they're sending their coffees in a package with the exact same water uh, and, and the same recipe and the same grind. Like, 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 and it really, you know, to kind of break that barrier because Matthew, when I interviewed him, he said that he loves coffee, but he hates it because he's frustrated how the fact that he's still chasing that, the, the reason, but he's chasing that perfect cup of coffee. And you sharing your knowledge so publicly and openly and selflessly because it also means stripping yourself of your ego and go, hey, I'm humble. I just want to do bad, a good thing for the broader audience, which you use the word broader at the start, uh, referring to something else. But I think it's just, yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, you, have to, you have to have, you know, I, I appreciate that you say that I'm humble, but I, I, I must be honest. You know, you have to have some level of, of e ego because science is pretty brutal. 
it's brutal because the people really give you feedback that's really hard. It's not like, okay, let me give you an ex- example of the type of feedback. Let's say you work really hard, you present a beautiful coffee, and imagine that somebody, as soon as they taste it, told you exactly what they thought about it. So whether it's good or bad, but you get exactly what they think. So they could say, this is over-extracted. I also didn't like the method that you use because it was irreproducible because of this. So basically, that's what science is. Every time we do something, someone criticizes every facet of it. So you do have to have some degree of ego to be confident with the way you present it, but then be humble with being wrong. And so I'm glad that you can see that there is humility in the in in some facet of this. Um, but you know, I, I also I also have to you know I have to present it in a in a, in a certain way. Sure. You know, you have, that, you have to that, stand that, by what you yeah definitely and you know obviously it's you there's your name like 100 percent. and like you said science is brutal because i mean it, it is um but yeah the fact that you're gonna have that as an open house is already oh, and yeah, even yeah. given access you know that that's amazing um uh, uh no i i get your point definitely definitely i um I, I couldn't, and that's why I couldn't be a scientist because probably um, it, would be, it would be pretty quite frightening. Um, but no, thank you. Um, I, I I wish the time was going slower. How much it's time do we have? We got about ninety seconds. It's just for sure, and, and it'll bring me to uh, something important for me to say. Thank you for being here. Um, it was such a unique experience uh, for, for for myself as well to hear another face of coffee and another story and other insights and i'm very grateful for you being here and uh, I, i'm hoping and i'm inviting already you maybe we could do this again in a month or two uh maybe in a different setting maybe we can work out a cool idea to do something a bit different in, in connection to uh to a talk <laughs> uh, you know i got yeah well i might have some really exciting news for you in a month so uh Maybe we can, maybe I'll check back in with you in a month, all right? All right, let's do it. Yeah, excited. All right. Um, Soon we're going to be given the 30 seconds uh, countdown. Christopher, thank you so much. Truly grateful. I'm going to shoot you a message as soon as we finish this. Um, Thank you. I really appreciate you being here. Honestly, it's great. My pleasure. I just want to point out that if you do want to hear some more scientific content, go check out the Toby's Estate Knowledge Talk. It's on YouTube. Oh yeah, all right. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna repost it on my stories so people who have context. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Cool. My all man. Right. Take it easy. You. you have a good night. Thank you. Cheers. Wow. Uh, that was quite um, such an uh, interesting, intriguing talk, and I was really trying to get as many seconds in as possible because. There was so much things popping into my brain and usually I try to get the last five minutes to be pen out so I can talk for five minutes solo to sort of say thank you. And, and it was just so much data and information. So I, I hope you appreciate this. I hope you liked it. Um, and if you did, um, I'd love for you to just take a screenshot and sort of reshare this. Um, if this grows, we'll be able to do it for longer and for more. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you. Big shout out to people who are still in the house. Um, obviously, uh, we got uh, Anthony, Ruthieri, um, we got Coffee Diaries, Vag, uh, you've been silent, I didn't see you were here, Peter, Carlos, 
uh, Dafu, Daniel, Kirk, Raman, and all of you. Thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Um, very, very grateful uh, for you being here as well as for Chris to be here, to have been here and talk to us. And I just got to be thank you to you. Uh, stay safe and uh, I'll see you.